You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and it's, uh, it's really great to have you join us, um, especially if you're brand new this morning. I hope you feel really welcomed and encouraged with uh, your time with us this morning. Um, you picked a good morning to be here because all of us, we all did, because we're beginning a, a brand new series today, a three-part series that we're calling uh, Catalyst for Life Change. And a catalyst, according to the dictionary, is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. So simply put, you can say catalyst is something that, that uh, produces change, and change uh, period. And in this case, we're talking about change in your life. And, uh, you know, I once <laughs> had a catalyst that was so powerful that uh, I resulted in uh, being pregnant. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a true, that, that's a kind of a true statement. It's a really weird statement, but it's a true statement. The, um, I, I don't know, you probably can't tell, but uh, there, there are periods in my life where I really need to lose a good amount of weight. And um, the, uh, I hate losing weight. I hate ever trying to lose weight. And so I have to find a catalyst, if you will, something that will help drive me to do that. And I remember one year, years ago, I, uh, I came to Kristen. I said, hey, if, if I could lose 40 pounds, can I go on a trip with, with this one of really good friends, a high school friend of mine? And she said, yes, if you lose 40 pounds, I'll let you go on this trip. And so he had to lose a lot of weight too. So he did the same deal with his wife and she signed off on it. And so then that was like the spark. That was the catalyst is like, okay, I'm committed. I'm going to lose this weight. And so I could go on this trip with this guy. And so I started researching, figuring out what's the diet plan that I could do that's going to make me lose the weight the fastest because I don't want to wait forever to go on this trip. And so I started looking up in this and I find a diet plan that I highly don't recommend you do, as for reasons about to be evident, but, um, and so in it, I had to take like the certain like hormone drops every day, multiple times a day, uh, that was like an appetite suppressant and a metabolism booster and all that kind of stuff, and then I was like eating like a ridiculous amount of calories a day, like 500 calories a day, and you're supposed to lose weight every single day, and if there's ever a day that you don't lose weight, then that next day, you have to only eat apples all day. That was part of this diet plan, like it's a legit plan I found on the internet. So um, <laughs> the, uh, so I'm doing this, and Be- Jason and Beth remember this plan, because I, I, I uh, actually went to ACL with them one, uh, during this time, and I, oh, that was an apple day for me, so I'm at ACL eating apples all day. It was terrible, but um, they were mocking me, and as they should have been, but like I was losing weight. Like I, this cat of getting to go on this trip was making me do that. I was committed to this change. And then, to make things even more interesting, that was all leading up to the time right before Chris and I were traveling to Uganda to go adopt our son Enoch. And so we were getting ready for that trip during uh, this time I was on this crazy diet. And one of our friends suggested 
uh, you should probably think about getting life insurance because, you know, you're going to Uganda for a month. And like, yeah, it's probably make, make sense. So we decided to uh, go ahead and try to get that. And so this friend who suggested that also happened to sell life insurance or be a life insurance broker. He's a good friend of mine, Dustin Bruce. Many of y'all know Dustin. He was part of Midtown uh, right when we got it started. And so anyways, he suggests that. So I said, okay, great. Let, you know, let me, let, let's do that. So he arranged for me to do the things I need to do to get life insurance, including getting my blood drawn. And so I got my blood drawn. And then a couple of weeks later, he calls me. He says, dude, uh, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is your life insurance application was rejected. The good news is you're having a baby. <laughs> what? He says, yeah, like they rejected you because it looks like you're pregnant according to your blood work. And I'm like, what in the world? And so then I look into this hormone I've been taking and it's HCG. It's the hormone that, that women, you know, form in their body when they're when they're pregnant. And this is what I've been taking for months on end, every day, three times a day. And so <laughs> it shows that I was pregnant. But I got to go on the trip, and I lost 40 pounds. So power, that's what I learned. You got a powerful enough catalyst can bring about just kind of any change in your life. <laughs> True story. That's my life. Like, that actually happened. That's, that's wild. So uh, today, we're beginning this series, right, and catalyst. And we're going to specifically talk about three incredibly powerful catalysts that God uses to bring about his change in our life. And like, guys, when I talk about his change in our lives, like this is a change that I think all of us want. Like whether, even if you're not a Christian, like if you're here, you're just exploring faith, you're not sure there's a God, I think you still say the things that God is wanting to do in our lives are things that for most part we would say, man, I want that kind of stuff done in my life. Like I want to be a more loving person. I want to be more patient. I want to be kinder. I want to be more self-controlled. I want, I want to have more joy. I want to have more peace. I, I want to know that I'm living a significant life that has real meaning and, and value. Like These are the kind of changes God wants to do in our, in our life, and these catalysts that we're going to be talking about in this series are the things that God uses to bring about these kind of changes. Now, but let me dress up in real quick. When you hear about catalysts God uses to bring about change, depending on your church background, what kind of church you grew up in, or around what kind of Christians you spent time with, it could be that your mind goes, when you think about cows God uses to change it, your mind goes to things like this. Shame, uh, uh, earned uh, love, like conditional love or earned acceptance. I mean, things like that. And you think, this is, this is what I was taught, or this is at least what I experienced in church growing up, around Christians growing up, is like, like to try to get me to become a better person or to change in some kind of way. They just heaped on shame. Or they, 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 they put a carrot of conditional love in front of me that I got to keep, I got to do it in order to feel like God loves me and all that kind of stuff. And if that's your experience, then I just want to say, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. I know that an incredible amount of hurt and harm is done as a result of that kind of stuff. I also want to tell you, those are not the catalysts God uses to bring change. When you look at Scripture, you do not see him using these things. Instead, what you see, the catalysts, the things that God uses to bring about changes in our life, are these things. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Now, I don't know when we see those words if we normally think about them 
as catalysts. But so that's kind of the weird angle we're taking at uh, these, taken in this series. But I want to help you see that the reason, one of the reasons that in Scripture these words show up time and time and time again, faith, love, and hope, or the concepts of them, is one of the, one of the reasons. It's because these are the primary things that God uses in our lives to bring about his good work in our lives. In fact, if you, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, Verse 2 and 3 is going to be like key cornerstone passage for us in this entire series. And so I have it up here for you. You can turn there in your page, in your Bible, or on your phone. And in fact, I'd really encourage you to consider memorizing these verses over the course of the next three weeks. It's just so, they're so powerful. But you see in this passage the statement that faith, love, and hope are catalysts that God uses to bring change. Let me just read it for you. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 says this. We always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted uh, by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this passage, right, is... Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, right? and he's, uh, he begins the letter, and he just says, like, look, I, when I'm praying for you, here's what I remember. Like, I remember how y'all's lives changed in remarkable ways. In chapter 1, if you just read chapter 1 of, of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see him mention all of these things. Like, when the gospel came to them, he says that they, they believed it, and they became this model church for the whole region that they were in. Like they, everyone just looked at them as the example of church. And not only that, or one reason why, is because when they believed the gospel, they began to, he, as he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, like the gospel began to ring, ring out from them so that they, the gospel spread through them to the whole geographic region around them. Like they just started sharing the gospel, the good news to all these people. And he says in that same chapter that they were known for how they turned away from idols to worship the one living God. Like their lives, friends, changed in incredible ways. And when Paul begins this letter, he says, when I think of you, when I pray for you, here's what I remember. I remember how your life was changed, and I remember what brought about those changes. Your love, your, your faith, your love, and your hope. Your faith, your love, and your hope. These were the catalysts that God used to change your lives. So, in this series, we're going to be drilling down on each one of those. Each Sunday, we're going to just take one of them, faith, uh, love, and hope, and, and just look at, you know, really dive in and see how is this a catalyst that, can, that God can use to change your life, and how can we more fully embrace this catalyst that God could do this work in our lives so that we, he could, you know, change us, to make us the people he's designed us to be, where we're flourishing and where our relationships are flourishing and we're living lives that matter and we're experiencing his peace. I mean, all these things that we want, these breakthroughs that he would love to do in our lives. So let's embrace these catalysts, all right? You with me? That's the idea of this series, okay? So let's dive in to now with the first one, with faith, all right? And to do that, I want us to just ask three or try to answer three questions this morning. The first question is, what is faith? And the second question is, how does uh, faith produce work? And then the third question is, what kind of work does faith produce? All right, so that's where we're going. First question, what is faith? 
Now, take a minute and think about this. If I asked you to come up on stage right now and give us your definition of faith, would, would, you, be, would you be able to do that? Would you feel confident in the definition of faith that you would give? Like sometimes faith can be a little squishy term, right? And we're like, oh, what? is it like hope or is it is faith? Like, is it like wishing? Sometimes we use the word faith and, you know, synonymously with those kind of ideas. Or is all faith blind faith? Is, or is there a difference between faith and blind faith? Or, you know, I mean, just kind of what is, what is faith? It's really important, friends, for us to really understand what faith is. One reason why is because in Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 6, we're actually told that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Like, oh, well, if that's true, that, that seems like it's kind of important that I would know what faith is. So what is faith? Well, thankfully, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're actually given a, a description of what faith is. And I want us to look at that real quick just to kind of answer this question. So in Hebrews 11, be, that chapter actually begins with this statement. Hebrews 11, verse 1, says, now faith is Right, like here's let me give you a description. Now faith is. It goes on to say, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Okay, pause there and think. Okay, what is what does that mean? Right, because we know what hope means. Let me just pause and say, in the Bible, hope is used in two ways. There's one way that hope is used most often. Justin's actually going to teach on that in two weeks, the catalyst of hope. He's going to talk about the, what, the way that hope is most often referred to in Scripture. But here, in this verse, hope is used in the way that we normally use the word hope. Like I would say, I really hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, right? Like, so I just, I, that that's just basically means I wish something would happen. Or I like Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta. I like his uh, <laughs> uh, cheesy Dr. Seuss version of description of what hope is, but here's what he says. He says, hope is wanting something to be, but having no guarantee. That's hope. Hope is wanting something to be, but having no guarantee. And so what does it mean to have confidence in what you hope for? What's the difference there? Well, then you would say this, that faith occurs when hope so becomes confidence that something will be so, all right? Again, ripping off Andy Stanley because he rhymes a lot. But hope occurs when hope so becomes confidence that something will be so. Like faith seems to be a step further than hope, right? Like there's hope. I, I hope something will be. I have no guarantee. But faith is when I actually have confidence that something will be. Or as the author in Hebrews continues this, pat, this verse, he just says it this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Like we have assurance of something that hasn't happened yet, or we have assurance of something that we can't see has happened. This is what a description of faith. Now, what's interesting is that as you keep reading in, the chap, in uh, Hebrews 11, he doesn't give a more helpful description or definition of faith in that. He actually moves from these lines to start giving examples of people who lived by faith. It's known as the, the hall of faith in the Bible. And it's all these Old Testament, these Jewish, uh, incredible heroes of the faith who lived by faith. But you don't get a more, you know, concrete definition of faith than, than this. But I think that the reason why he leaves it here is because if you think about it, we all know what this means, faith is. Like, if you think about, like, what is, what can, what has to happen for you to go from, I hope something will be so, to I have confidence that it will be so. 
What, what has to happen for you to have assurance of something that hasn't happened yet or you haven't seen yet? You know the answer to this. I know the answer to this. Think about it this way. If you want to get a raise, which we can all raise it. Yeah, I want to get a raise. That'd be awesome. If you want a raise, so you're like, I hope I get a raise. I hope I get a raise. I hope I get a raise. What has to happen from you going from, I hope to get a raise, I hope to get a raise, to I have faith that I'm getting a raise? What has to happen for you to say, I have assurance that I'm getting a raise even before I see it in my paycheck? What has to happen? Your boss has to come in and say, good news, you're getting a raise, right? And then you're like, yeah, that's awesome. And you go out and already start spending that money ahead of time. No, no don't do that. You shouldn't do that. But you, you have faith that that's going to happen based on what he or what she says to you will happen. That's when you go from I hope so to faith. I know it will be so because someone said it would be so. And of course, the more trustworthy the person who says it is, the more faith, more confidence you can have in the faith that what they said is actually going to take place, right? So if you apply that to God, you say, okay, what's faith in God? Well, simply put, Super simply put, but I think helpful, is this, that faith is taking God at his word. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. Now think about it. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. Faith is believing that you are who he says you are. Faith is believing that God has done what he says he's done. Faith is believing that God is doing what he says he is doing. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. Faith is, simply put, taking God at his word. That's faith. Now, let's move to the next question, which is, well then, how does faith produce works? If you go back to 1 Thessalonians, right, this is what Paul says at the beginning. He says, we remember before our, our God and Father your work produced by faith. I think, okay, well, okay, Paul, what, how's that work? Like, what are you talking about, your work produced by faith? Or how does faith produce work? Well, let me, let me just uh, try to get real uh, uh, clear here. Um, Paul wasn't meaning this. He wasn't meaning this. Let me, we got an image here. He wasn't meaning this. If you believe it, you will achieve it, okay? Like your faith, if you believe it, will produce work. You will achieve it. Now, this sentiment is, is helpful in some ways. Like, I think Chris and I probably said this to our daughter last year when she was trying to read. Like, you got to believe that you can do this. It's going to help you actually do it, right? But this isn't always true, right? We all know that this isn't always true. I mean, I climbed up my fort when I was five and jumped off of it because I really believed I could fly because I had just watched the Superman cartoon, and I didn't fly. I wasn't soaring through the clouds. I ended up on the ground with bruised knees and scraped hands, right? I bet a bunch of us did something like that. So you can't, you can't always achieve what you believe. That's not what Paul is talking about here. No, he, what he is saying when he says, I remember your faith. I mean, I remember your works produced by faith. He specifically, try to follow me here. He's specifically saying, I remember how your faith 
like how you took God at his word, produced God's work in your life. That your faith, taking God at his word, produced or was a catalyst for God's work being accomplished in your life. And friends, this is how God works. I mean, think about it this way. One famous passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Here's an example of how this plays out. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, you see here? What's the work? Who's doing the work? God is. For it's by grace that you have been saved. Not of our works. It's his works. He's the one who in Jesus died for our sins, rose again to make the way for us to be saved from the penalty of our sins. Awesome. He did the work. And it was a work of grace. And he gives that to you through what? Through faith. That faith, taking God at his word, that in this case he did what he says he's done in Jesus, is the means by which God accomplishes his work in our life. His work of salvation is accomplished in our life when we believe that he did the work. Does that make sense? Faith, taking God at his word, produces God's work in your life. Let me give you another example. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. Paul's still talking and commending the church in Thessalonica for uh, for the model that they are and for how they, you know, for in this case, how they received what Paul and Silas and Timothy, the guys who showed up at Thessalonica and shared the gospel with them, he says, man, I really want to applaud you, commend you for how you received our message. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul's saying, man, let me just really encourage y'all. When we, one of the things I just thank God for is that when we showed up and we started sharing the gospel and telling you about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and how to follow him, you didn't just think that we were coming spouting off our own philosophy or, or ideas, but you actually received what we said as what it is, the very word of God. I mean, you believed that what we were saying was from God. It was the word of God. And as a result of their faith and believing that this was the word of God, he says, it was his, God was at work in you who believed. That God's work was being accomplished in you as a result of your faith that what they were hearing was God's word. See how that works? You following that? God's work is produced in our lives as a result of our faith. Our faith in what God has said, taking him as word, is what then produces or is the callous that accomplishes God's work in us. Like faith is a key part that then opens up, frees God, or is a catalyst for God to release his work and his power in our lives. And in this case, in 2 Thessalonians, uh, I mean, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's just worth pointing out. <laughs> One of the key ways guys, God works is that when we really believe that God's word is God's word. And we come to it with faith that this is from God. And as we believe that, we're told here, God does his work in you who believes. And he begins to work through that 
to change our, our, our minds and our hearts and our, our actions and our, in our lives. So here we are. Um, how does faith produce work? Well, it produces work. How do I put it up here? Next, page, next one. Faith in God produces God's work in you. That's the simplest way to put it. Faith in God produces God's work in you. Or faith in God, what God has said, produces God's work in your life. Okay, but then that leads to the question, well, what kind of work does it produce? What kind of work does faith produce? And honestly, the answer to this question is so broad. Because in one way, you could actually say basically all of it. Like all of God's good work in your life is a result of faith. That's the means, the primary means by which God works in your life. But let me try to get a little bit more specific or more concrete. And so depending on time, I'm going to rush through these. But let me give you three examples. The first thing I would say is that the type of work faith produces, that faith produces a work of God resulting in righteousness. Faith produces a work of God resulting in righteousness. Kind of God, I kind of mentioned this already, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by faith that God's work of grace, work on the cross, Jesus' death for us, is applied to us, making us, justifying us, saving us from our sins, making us righteous. Faith produces a work of God resulting in righteousness. Or another verse that speaks to this real clearly is in Romans chapter 3. Here's what uh, Paul writes in Romans 3. He says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness. What righteousness? The righteousness of God is what he just referred to. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The word believe, guys, is just the verb form of the noun word faith. It's through faith. It's by believing that God's righteousness is accredited to us. That Jesus' perfect track record, his perfect resume of how he measured up perfectly to God's standards, living a sinless life. When you believe, God grants you, gifts you his righteousness. That your faith and what Jesus has done, who he is and what he's done, what he says he's done for you, produces God's work in your life, making you righteous. Like, that's a wild statement. It's wild. But friends, let me tell you, like, if you believe that, or if you're here today and you've never believed that, you want to know, but how do I make sure that, how do I know with confidence that God actually has forgiven my sins and made me righteous, that he's, you know, like, I'm in his family and all that stuff? How do you know? How do you know you can be made righteous? You just simply believe. Like, even right now, if you just took God at his word and said, I believe that Jesus really died for me in my place on the cross. His righteousness is given to you. It's given to anyone who believes. That's wild, but it's so true. And I hope that if you don't, haven't ever believed that, you would even do that today, even right where you sit. It's that simple. Faith is taking God at his word, and when we do, he produces his work in us. In this first case, a work of righteousness. But that's not all. Let me give you another example. Faith also produces a work of God, resulting in rest. Faith also produces a work of God resulting in rest. And here's what I mean by this. 
I could spend a really long time on this point. I'm going to try not to, okay? Because, but this is so rich. I mean, just love this. When you simply believe that God is who he says he is, when you believe that God is who he says he is, he can produce a work of rest in your life that is incredibly stable and secure and, and so powerful that not even the, most, the hardest of circumstances or the death of a dream can shake you from it. So like, one of the things I'm really thankful for is my, uh, my dad growing up, he taught me a lot about the importance of believing the promises of God. And my dad loves alliterations, and so he taught me how to remember some of the promises of God just based off of alliterations, and it turns out it helped because it helped me remember them. Um, and so I'm going to do that for you right now. But uh, you think about, okay, if I just believe what God says he is, I believe the promises of God, Here's some things that he says. So first is this, that God has promised his presence. You know, Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will, will I forsake you. Or here's another one, God has promised his provision. I don't have time to read this passage, but this is Jesus talking in Matthew 6 about how God has promised. We seek first his kingdom. He's going to take care of our needs, what we eat, what we drink. So we don't have to worry about that. Next one, God has promised his providence. It's providence, like that God is at work in an invisible way, making all things work together for good, as Romans 8 promises. Or here's another one. God has promised his power. And when Jesus is talking, he says, hey, for man, things are impossible. For God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. All things are possible for God. It's just awesome. Okay, and then do I have another one? I can't remember. I cut it out. Next one. Nope. Okay, well, I had one in there that God promised his peace. And that when I would come to God with, in prayer, think about Philippians 4. And I remember that this is who he is. I'm remembering the fact that God is present with me. And I'm remembering the fact that God provides. And the fact that God has promised that he's providentially in control and that he's all-powerful, and I'm remember, like I'm believing the promises of God, then the peace that surpasses understanding comes home to my heart. I find rest. Friends, you can find rest because faith produces God's work of rest in our life when we believe that God is who he says he is. There's times in my life where I'm just going through, like, just... It just like, feels like the world's falling down. And I've talked a lot about my dad having cancer and all that. And like, there's times where that just feels so crushing. And, but when I am remembering, when I am believing that God is who he says he is, I can find rest in those times. Right now I'm experiencing that. And it's something that's going on. Many of you all have, um, if you're a partner at regular tenor Midtown, you probably received a letter from me, on, uh, email from me on Friday about where we are financially. As a church, we're $13,500 behind budget. We need about $45,000 to come in this month for us to make budget for the year because our fiscal year runs September through August. So I send that letter out and let y'all know, ask y'all to pray about that, and I really hope that y'all are praying about that. But um, people have, you know, some people have responded by saying, well, hey, how are you doing? Which I really appreciate people showing care, checking in on me. And my answer to them is, um, It depends. Honestly, I mean, that's my honest answer. It depends, but hear this. It doesn't depend on how much money is coming in. 
It, can t- it entirely depends on how much I am believing that God is who he says he is. See, when I am believing, when I have faith, when I'm living by faith, that God is present with us as a church in this time, and that God is a provider, and that he can meet our needs, and that God is uh, providentially in control right now, even using this shortfall to do a good work in our lives as a church, and that God is actually all-powerful, and so there's nothing that he can't overcome. When I believe that, I am experiencing in this moment incredible peace. My soul is at rest. And friends, I just wonder how many of us are so just riddled by anxiety and worry and fear because we are not allowing God to produce his work of rest in our life because we are not believing God regarding what he says about who he is. But if we will believe that God is who he says he is, he will produce a work of rest in your soul that is not dependent on your circumstances. Now, I want you all to have that. Are you believing that God is who he says he is? One more, one more thing, and I'm going to have to go super fast here, but what kind of work does faith produce? Faith also produces a work of God resulting in risk. Resulting in risk. And Here's what I mean by this because it's not real intuitive. But um, when you go to the God's word and you see what he says about who he is and who you are in Christ, believer, and what he is doing in the world, and you, read, you see that and you respond in faith, man, it, God produces a work that causes you to jump in with him even if it's risky, even if it's going to be sacrificial. Like when you go back at 2.14, you say, okay, here's what's God doing in the world. He lays it out for us there. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's he doing? He's filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. And say, okay, well, God, how are you doing that? He says, well, let me tell you who you are. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, that you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that you are now my ambassadors, that you are the means by which I am making my appeal to the world for people to be reconciled to Christ. Okay, so that's who I am. Yeah, that, that's who you are. Okay, so what, how, what does that look like? Well, he says, look, look, Jesus says, you're my witnesses. Or in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So, oh, that's what you're like, God? You're with me as I go do this? Yeah, that's who I am. This is what I'm doing. It's who I am. It's who you are in Christ. And you respond in faith. Like, you actually believe that. Like, that's not just information. That's just not words on a page. But you believe this is what God's doing in the world. And this is who you are. And this is who he is. It moves you. God moves you. He produces a work in you that moves you to jump in with him. To say, man, I'm not going to just sit here. I want to be a part of what he's doing. And so you say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go knock on my neighbor's door. I'm going to invite him over for dinner. I'm going to go up to the cubicle of my coworker. I'm going to invite him to lunch. I'm going to actively seek to show them God's love. And I'm going to pray for opportunities to tell them about God's love in hopes that one day they will believe, feel and believe that God really loves them because this is what God is doing and this is who I am. 
And it's risky and it's scary, but you do it. This is the reason, friends, that people in this church have packed up and gone to places like Tanzania or Indonesia or Japan because they say, like, God is doing this in this world. He's filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and I want in. This is who I am. And so I'm going to go in faith that when I go, I'm just joining God in what he's already up to. As this is when we read this and we look at, like, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And it says this. I think, I, did I not put it up there? For, for, <laughs> never mind. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 talks about how God has uh, given all of us a gift in order to serve others according to his, his various graces. And I read that and think, man, okay, do I believe that? <laughs> that God has actually given each one of us a gift that, he used, that he's given in, in order for me to be able to serve others. Or I think about what 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. And how we are all a part of the body of Christ. Each one of us is a part of that body. And I think, okay, so we're the body of Christ? We're not just a church that shows up on Sunday mornings, but like I'm actually a part of God's body, Jesus' body, by which he is fulfilling or making known his, his goodness and his love and the gospel through us here on earth in tangible forms. Like, do I believe that? See, if we believe these things, it compels us. God compels us to get involved. You get the living for others menu to get real practical. And you say, okay, look, I, I'm not just going to put this aside because I'm busy. No, I, I actually believe that God has given me a gift to serve this church or as of this church serve our community. I believe that because God has said it, and therefore I'm going to get involved. I mean, just you can go on and on. Friends, again, the question becomes, are you, do you believe it? Are you taking God at his word? When you do, he produces his good work in your life. Um, now, I know that faith is hard for some. Okay? So let me, let me just address this real quick. I want you to know, if you or someone says, like, I, I want to believe, but, man, I just have a really hard time believing God. Believing that what God says he's done, he really is done, that he really is who he says he is, that the Bible actually tells us what God's like. I mean, things like that. You, you struggle with belief in that. First of all, I want you to know, we, we as a church, I know competently I can speak for all of us here. We love you. We love you. We're so glad you're here, and we want you to know you're not alone in that. All of us struggle with believing what God has said at times. And so what we would say to you is don't hide that and don't feel shame by that. Talk about that. Because one of the things that God uses to strengthen our faith is the faith of others. And so when you get an MC or you get in a huddle, you start talking about this, and, and God helps you grow in your confidence that he is who he says he is, he's done what he says he's done, to grow in our confidence that we can take him at his word as we help each other. So please know that we are here for you and we want you to lean into that, okay? The other thing I would say that really helps me grow in my confidence and faith is the resurrection. 
That's why we did a four-part series for that in the spring. That we can, <laughs> we know that we can take God at his word is because we can have confidence that Jesus really did die and rise again. We spent four weeks on that. If you want to go back and listen to those series, or I can recommend some books that might help you have grow in your confidence and faith in that, like I would love to help you with that. Okay? And finally, earlier I said that one of the things that really helps you have strong faith is when you know or you're confident in the trustworthiness of the person who said something that you're believing, right? So the more trustworthy someone is, is, and when they say you're getting a raise, you have more confidence that you're actually getting that raise if they actually have the authority to say it and they're trustworthy when they say it. Well, guys, we end today by taking communion. And communion is one of the, if not the number one reasons why we can know God is trustworthy. Because you see, when we take communion, we're remembering that Jesus' body is broken for us and his blood was spilled for us so that we can be reconciled to God, forgiven of our sins, and brought into the family of God. And friends, if God loves you to that degree, then he will not lie to you. And you can take what he said about who he is and about who you are in Christ and about what he's done and he is doing and will do, and you can take all those things to the bank because God loves you so much that Jesus, God the Son, died for you. So as we take communion, I want to encourage you to use this time to ask God to strengthen your faith in light of his incredible love for you. So let me pray. And friends, may we embrace the catalyst of faith that God can produce his good work in and through our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do this work in us. And that you would use faith, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would give us faith, that we would respond in faith to what you have said. And that through that, you'll produce your good work in our lives, changing our lives bringing us peace, bringing us rest, or making us righteous in Christ, and God, moving us to live lives of eternal significance and meaning as we risk with you. God, would you just work in us? Would you uh, help us believe more fully even as we take communion now? Jesus, thank you for proving the trustworthiness, your trustworthiness, through your death on the cross on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.